Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's presenting sponsor is Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas and one of this area's hidden gems. If you're interested in local history, from the ranchers and pioneers who settled this area to the American Indians who lived here long before that, you can learn so much from the artifacts and collections at PPHM. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Hey Amarillo is also sponsored this week by Wick Realty. Wick helped me buy and sell a home at this time last year, and in a city filled with realtors and real estate companies, they truly are one of the best. What I really love is that Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish, economically and socially, for all groups of people. So if you're buying a home, if you're selling, if you're building, looking for investment property, or even if you want to be a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Today's guest is Dr. William Graves, who goes by Billy. Billy's a partner at Amarillo Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. I think I said that right. Also known as AOMS, which is much easier to say. And it's one of the largest and best known oral surgery practices in the nation. Billy grew up in Kentucky and was educated at the University of Kentucky and the University of Louisville. But he chose Amarillo intentionally as the place to start his practice more than 10 years ago. He saw a need here and thought Amarillo would be the ideal place to build his career. He and his medical partner, Dr. Paul Wilkinson, have put AOMS on the map in the larger world of oral surgery, from a reality TV show based on their practice to their popular four-hour smile makeover program. So much stuff going on at AOMS, and I was eager to talk about it with Dr. Graves. So here's Billy Graves. Dr. Billy Graves, welcome to the Hamrilla Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm uh, I'm eager to talk about your practice and the things that you're involved with in Amarillo, all that stuff. But the the thing that I like to do to start is to just ask my guest how you ended up here. And I know that's probably a story mm-hmm. in itself because you're not from this area. So tell me where you grew up. You know, I, gr- I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was born in Tennessee, but I spent most of my life in in Louisville, and that's where I lived through high school. And then um, after high school, I kind of took a couple years off. You know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. I actually graduated my high school valedictorian. So it was kind of a, a little bit of controversy because I didn't really go to college right when I graduated. Valedict- from Valedictorians don't always take like a gap year, I guess. Or- exactly. So it was, it's a little bit of um, it was a little bit of drama, maybe from the people on the school side, but you know, as far as my family was concerned, you know, my mother worked at a gift shop at a museum and my stepdad was a truck driver. So, you know, when it came to like education, they didn't really have very high expectations. I maybe was just like maybe the exception to the rule in our family when it comes to like being the valedictorian, you yeah. know, and, and honestly, when I was in high school, things kind of just came relatively easily. I've never really studied hard or I never really had that parent kind of pushing me to did you do your homework right what are your grades you know I I never had that growing up so I was kind of if anything maybe self-motivated but vaguely motivated you know things just kind of came easy with me so when I graduated high school I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do you know I, I, I knew that at the time we didn't have any money so I got a job and I started working at UPS for a couple of years and I was driving these little tugs on the runways of the airport, delivering packages yeah. to the airplanes, and I and I did that for a couple of years. And um, I remember, and uh, at during this during this time, my my mother had moved to Texas, so her and her husband had got transferred with this trucking job. So it was kind of me left to kind of fend for myself with my brother and sister in Kentucky, and. I remember sitting around the house one day, I was around 20 at this point, and I had like, uh, I think I had like $20 to my name. It was like on a Monday or Tuesday, and I remember payday being on Thursday. And I remember sitting down, I was like, had a piece of paper, and I was writing out on the paper, what am I going to eat until Thursday? Because that's when I got paid. So yeah. I had no, there was no support, I had no money from any other source. And then I remember just thinking to myself, I was like, man, what am I doing with my life? You know, I... I know I'm smart enough to to have a life where I'm not worried about how I'm going to eat for the next two days. I, I was like, I have to do something with my life. 
So I remember that was kind of a moment I can look back on and said, you know what, I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to figure something out. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to go to school, how I'm going to pay for this. So I signed up and I took my ACT a couple of weeks later and I did decent on that. And then I got accepted to the University of Kentucky to go to undergrad. And I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do um, when I was going there, possibly medicine, but I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. And luckily, our family income was low enough that I was able to get some grants and some student loans. And so I took every loan that I could take and showed up at college in the fall and thinking to myself, you know, I have one chance to do this. If, if I don't, if I'm not successful in school, then I don't know how I'm going to pay these loans back for, mm-hmm. for college. So um, I did that, ended up doing my undergrad in about three years, decided to go to dental school, uh, got accepted to dental school at the University of Louisville with the intentions of just being a general dentist okay. um, throughout my college. You know, I, I consider myself pretty lucky in my career because when I was in dental school, I remember going to the oral surgery department, and that was always kind of like fun. I mean, I, I would say that's kind of the equivalent to when you're in school and you go to the gym to play basketball or something okay. like that, right? It was something I looked forward to. It was fun to do and enjoyed. I was excited about doing something like that. And I had good grades in dental school, so I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just specialize in dual surgery, and that's what I did. Ended up doing my residency in Memphis, Tennessee, at the University of Tennessee. Spent four years there doing like a medical residency there. You know, graduating um, from residency, you know, I had no real ties. You know, I could pretty much go wherever I wanted to go. However, you know, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and Louisville's a great place. I love that city, and people really like that city. It's a nice place to live. But, you know, in Louisville, Kentucky, I'm just, I'm Billy Graves there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I really wanted to, like, reinvent myself and be Dr. Graves, who I became, you know, I wanted to go somewhere I could do that. And I didn't know where that was. I remember the only thing that I did was I researched maybe 50 cities around the U.S., and Amarillo was one of the cities I'd researched. And I'd looked at, you know, demographics of the cities, how many people were there, how many dentists did they have, how many orthodontists did they have, what was the draw of the city, the size of the city, how was the airport, how was travel, where it was located in the country, the weather. I mean, I, I mean, way in depth that I probably didn't need to. And it came down between a place called Bend, Oregon and Amarillo, mm-hmm. Texas. And I visited both places. And Bend, Oregon, was a, it's, it's, it's an amazing place if you've never been. It's kind of a resort city. It's about the same size as Amarillo, right? Maybe a little bit bigger? It's about the same size, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a little smaller. Um, it's located in the middle of Oregon, kind of up in like a resort. There's ski resorts there. I mean, it's a beautiful place. But the one thing that kind of stuck out about Amarillo to me was kind of the people. You know, the people in Amarillo really remind me a lot of the people that I grew up with in Kentucky. You know, really kind-hearted people, friendly people who go out of their way, very thankful for what you do for them. And, you know, that was really the kind of deciding factor for me coming to Amarillo. And when I came here, I knew no one. I remember finishing my residency on a Friday. We had my awards banquet on a Saturday. I drove to Amarillo on a Sunday, and my first day of work was on a Monday. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I had started my practice with a guy I'd graduate dental school with, Dr. Smith, Fred Smith. And he was a guy that was from Oregon, and and that's why Bend was kind of up on our list. He was a lawyer, so he went to law school originally, graduate law school. He practiced law for three years, went to medical school, finished medical Hmm. school, did a year of general surgery, decided he wanted to be an oral surgeon during this year. He had to go back to dental school to be an oral surgeon. So he was in my dental school class, graduated with me, and then he had to finish a couple of years of residency. So he had finished, you know, a little bit before me and him and I had been talking for about the last six months of doing a practice together. So we actually started the practice together in Amarillo. Okay. And I'm, I'm really curious about, you know, the idea that you chose Amarillo based on research and demographics and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, numbers, I guess, for any city only tell a part of that story. So once you got here, got settled, started your practice, was there anything about Amarillo that maybe surprised you or maybe that you learned that, that you didn't know, you know, based on your research, trying to decide where do I want to start over here? When I came to Amarillo, one thing that stuck out to me was, 
Now I'd go in, I would do these surgeries on patients and take their wisdom teeth out or wherever the surgery may be. And I'd finish the surgery and the, the patient would go home. And, you know, most of the time in my world, that's kind of the end of the story. But I would have these people who would come and they would bring me food. And maybe because I was a, a young kid at the time and I wasn't married and had no family, they would bring me like thank you cards. And I remember thinking to myself, man, these people, I talked to the front desk, we were charging these people for these surgeries, right? right are yeah. we doing this for free? I mean, why are these people giving me all these thank you cards? And I think that's just a testament to the city and to the people in the city that, you know, those are things that you're not going to see in like in a larger city. If you okay. practice in, you know, in Memphis where I did my residency, you know, nobody ever said thank you to me there. But, you know, I think that's, I think that's some of the things that you kind of get out of a smaller community, especially like in West Texas. And I've always thought of West Texas as, you know, Amarillo, you know, we're in the middle of the panhandle, you know, we're, we're kind of separated from the big metropolitan areas. And, you know, everybody kind of looks out for each other in this, in these areas. You know, you started as, as someone pretty young, right out of, you know, right out of school and have really seen your practice grow over the years. Talk to me about some of the different steps that you took, you know, to starting off with, with the partnership that you had and then uh, growing and and eventually building a, a brand new building and and how that works. So like, talk to me about the the different, I guess, levels or, or places that you reached and how you made some of those decisions. Yeah, you know, I, I think just in as with life, I think you have to have big dreams. You know, in order to to have great accomplishments, you have to dream big first. I mean, if you set your standards low then that's probably the level that you'll achieve. And if you have these great big standards, you're going to achieve those things. And I remember uh, just growing up, you know, in a, in a, like a poor family, I remember thinking to myself, man, I want something better in life. And, you know, unfortunately, when you come from a poor family, there's no fairy godmother that's going to come down with a bag of money to make you have a better life. Yeah. You know, your chance of winning the lottery is not, not, not very predictable. But so I knew that if I wanted to have a better life, it was going to require hard work, you know, and, and I just, I apply those work ethics to my life. You know, I'm, I'm just a hard worker. You know, I, I tell people I may not be the smartest person, but I work hard, you know, and, and I don't think you have to be the, the most intelligent person to be successful. I mean, obviously that helps sometimes, but you know, there's nothing beats hard work. You know, that's a good saying to kind of live by. And so when I came to Amarillo, you know, I've always had high expectations. You know, I want to have the best oral surgery practice in the country, you know, and, and that's something I wanted to do. And I knew that it would take hard work to do that. And, you know, one of the things about Amarillo, though, that, that made it initially maybe a little bit difficult, but I think that helped me in my success in the long run was when I would come here and and obviously, as a specialist, you know, we depend on referrals from dentists. Mm -hmm. So when I come here, I would visit the dentist and I would take them to lunch and I would introduce myself and they would be like, well, you know, we like you, but, you know, the other old surgeons in town, you know, our kids go to school with them. We grew up with together. We're friends with them. We're probably still just going to refer to those guys. Right. And it's kind of a good old boy system to a certain extent like that. And I remember leaving these offices thinking to myself, well, you know what, if, if I'm going to be successful here, then I have to be different than everybody else. I can't be just like the oral surgeon down the street because if I'm just like him, then I have zero advantage because of the fact that he knows these people, he's friends with them, his kids go to school. I have to be exceptional. So I have to make my practice so much better than everybody else. I have to work so much harder than everybody else. And that was the mindset that I had coming into this deal. And I've kind of never really stopped feeling that way. And, and you know, I, I look at oral surgeons around the country and around the world, and I say, I want to be better than all these guys. And, you know, even though we may be in Amarillo, and this may be a small town, in the oral surgery world and the, the big picture, everybody knows who we are in the oral surgery world. Okay. I mean, if you go to Los Angeles and talk to the oral surgeons there. They've heard of us. They know who we are. They know who I am. When you look at those type of platforms, we've kind of really set ourselves apart from a lot of people in big markets because of the fact that we've kind of had that attitude of let's work hard and let's do whatever it takes to be the best. Tell me what some of those reasons are. Like, like what are some of the innovations that you've made that have put your practice here in Amarillo, like on the radar of, of other, other mm -hmm. places? Well, you know, you know, Traditionally, when you go to your doctor or your dentist, 
there's not like a lot of customer service. And we have this perception of going to your doctor's office, it feeling very institutionalized. You have these dark waiting rooms. You have these highlights magazines everybody has that's already been colored out. You have these magazines that are expired two years ago, and you have this little bitty window with this reception that sits in. And then you go in there and you, you wait for an hour or two in this dark room, and then you get put into another dark room and you wait for an hour or two, right? Nobody's really ever stressed the customer service aspect of a business in the field of medicine. And that was something I knew would be helpful to me in the long run. I remember telling myself, well, these people aren't going to send me the patients. Don't worry. I'm going to get them anyways, because I may not get them from the dentist, but I can get them from their neighbors and I can get them from a friend. I can get them from other people who had a good experience here. And then at some point, the dentist will have to refer to me because people will start requesting me. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you're in, when you're in dental school, you don't take business classes. You don't learn marketing strategies and things like that. And, you know, and I'm a big dreamer and I didn't know all these things. So I tell myself, who has the best customer service in the country? And I thought to myself, the Rich Carlton did. And the Rich Carlton was offering courses. So I signed up for a Rich Carlton course and I flew to Washington, D.C. And I did this week-long course that's all about customer service and team building and the psychological ownership of your employees. And when I went there, I was the only person who had ever been there in healthcare. Hmm. There was these CEOs of big companies and other industries, but nobody in the healthcare field. And people kind of looked at me like an anomaly at these areas in this, and during these events. And I did that and I came back and I just applied all these things I'd learned at this conference to oral surgery and dentistry. And I think that was, I mean, I know that has been extremely helpful. And I think that's, and there's other things and we'll talk about, but that's the one thing that sets us apart. And that's the one thing that oral surgeons around the country are real curious about. And I'll, I'll, I have done these and I'll get asked to do marketing lectures. And I did one not too long ago in San Francisco for nothing but oral surgeons. And I mean, that's what people want to hear about. That's, that's the thing that most doctors are lacking because they just don't have a background in these things. And I'm learning. And, but this is something I'm, that I'm very interested in. You know, another thing that, that kind of sets us apart from everybody else is, you know, we have the, the second largest oral surgery facility in the country. I mean, by just in f- terms of like square footage, square footage yeah. Okay. yeah. We, by far, we have the largest one in Texas by far. And that's kind of an extension of myself to me. If, if you want to be the best, you have to feel like you're the best and you have to walk into the building that is the best. And it all starts with that attitude. And, you know, I wanted to come to work every single day and I wanted to be proud of what I was doing and proud of what I had. And I want my employees to be motivated to work hard. I want my employees to be proud of where they work. And I want them to feel like they work at the best. Because, you know what, if you have the attitude that you're the best and your employees have the attitude that they work at the best and, and they're the best, well, everybody's going to try to maintain and keep that attitude. Tell me about the, uh, you know, speaking of marketing, how your practice has embraced social media as a way to, you know, to advertise or to stay in front of your potential clients. I mean, you're mm-hmm. wearing a, a t-shirt right now that's got your Instagram on one sleeve mm-hmm. and your Snapchat on the other sleeve, you know? Mm-hmm. So tell me how you've sort of the strategy behind that and why it's important to you. Yeah, you know, that that was like a leap of faith, right? I mean, when we first started doing our Snapchat, which and that's where we originated, and we've kind of grown to Instagram. But when we first started doing our Snapchat, nobody was really doing live surgeries. There was one doctor who was doing surgeries on social media. And I remember thinking to myself, people are interested in this. People want to see these surgeries they're curious about this. This Dr. Miami, who was the plastic surgeon who was doing surgeries at the same time, was getting a lot of attention. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to start doing these surgeries. I mean, I'm confident in my ability to do the surgeries, but a lot of people didn't necessarily think that was a great idea. Okay. Oral surgery was just because of the fact that, I mean, look, you have a lot of surgery going on. People can be very critical of the surgery if they want to. You're taking the risk that you may have a complication or or unfavorable result. And, you know, luckily, those are very rare in our practice. And like I said, it was kind of a leap of faith. I said, let's just let's do this and let's see how this goes. 
So we we started the Snapchat. I started doing some surgeries on it. And I would I kind of told some of my friends about it. So we kind of started with a, you know fifteen or twenty people here watching it. And then I remember a month later we had like three hundred and fifty people, right? And then maybe a month after that we had five thousand people yeah. who watch it. And they just kept growing and growing and growing. And then we do a lot of interaction with people who write in and send us messages. So we try to kind of engage some of our audience. But I mean, I probably have, I mean, I think we have around a hundred thousand people who watch us or follow us on our Instagram. And just to kind of give like a, just a realization of how big this is. I went to Morocco over the summer and we had posted something about me going to Morocco and we had 50 dentists who live in Morocco, who follow us on our Instagram, who wrote, wrote me messages. Hmm. And I end up going to Morocco and I was traveling around the country and I went to their dental school and their dean came out and met me and gave me a tour of their dental school. And they had X amount of dental students who already followed us and they wanted pictures. And I mean, it was, it just kind of gave me a realization of, man, what kind of grasp you have on social media? And it's basically for free. Right. Now, now we invest in employees that, that help me manage that social media. But essentially, other than that, you know, it's a free platform. So you essentially can have free advertising and you can reach millions of people on these platforms for free. What do you think the need is that you're meeting, you know, whether it's among dentists or other surgeons in other places or even among your clients or your patients? I mean, what... What are they getting from that social media that's that's making them follow you and, and talk about it? There's a lot of different things. I think for like younger kids, they kind of like the blood and gore a little bit. Okay. You know, they want to see the kind of blood and gore. And, you know, it's one of those things, um, put your hands in front of your eyes and kind of peek between your fingers. I think that's a lot of uh, when it comes to the younger people. But when it comes to the uh, the dentists and the dental students and the other surgeons is, you know, we really have a broad spectrum office. You know, there's a lot of oral surgeons that kind of specialize in doing maybe implants. There's some that maybe specialize in just taking out wisdom teeth, you know, and you have a lot more of those type of practices in larger cities. But when you start getting to smaller cities around our size, you know, you really have to kind of wear a lot of hats when it comes to your practice. I mean, we're doing facial trauma and broken jaws and broken noses and we're doing implant surgeries and we're doing full mouth reconstruction surgeries. So, you know, we're doing, we have a great mix of a variety of surgeries that these dentists and these oral surgeons may not do in their practice. Okay. And, and the thing is that, man, we have such volume and we're, we're such a busy practice that, you know, there are some dentists that maybe do these all on four surgeries or these full mouth reconstructions. Maybe they get one of these cases a year. You know, when you do one case a year, you just don't get real efficient at something like that. And I think they watch these cases because we post these cases. And I think it's almost like a free continuing education course for these guys to a certain extent. You know, and they'll call in, well, they'll call in, they'll write uh, questions and ask me lots of questions. And, you know, and the thing is, we have lots of little bits that we do. I like to think it's an education thing, but mm -hmm. I like to think of it as kind of a fun thing as well. And, you know, we talk about pathology cases and we give away free prizes to people and have contests. So, I mean, it's more than just like focus for dentists. We try to focus towards the entire audience. Okay. Talking about the volume of your practice, how much of that is maybe the result of Amarillo and, and being in a place where we're serving so many counties, you know, in, in the Texas panhandle? And how much of that is just because of the hard work that you've put in and, and the visibility that you have? I mean, can you say... Part of it's geographic. Part of it is, you know, just how the the practice has grown. I mean, there is a geographic aspect to it. I mean, we draw from Oklahoma, Kansas, New Mexico, the Panhandle. So, I mean, the geographic doesn't hurt. And I, I would say it's probably fifty fifty. Okay. You know what I mean? Look, I mean, the, your options, your limited options. But I mean, well, look, we do have. It's not like we're the only game in town, right? I mean, there's plenty of other offices in town, and those guys do a good job, and they're good surgeons, and you know, so it's so we still competing against good people. And I think when it comes to to that, it's probably a lot of our marketing that goes into it and our social media that helps us out a lot. And I would probably say that we probably get half of our patients from social media or Google or some type of marketing that we do. And the other half probably are referrals. Okay. I know that you have, you know, dabbled in TV and, you know, some documentary style stuff and 
uh, and even film. Tell me about some of those opportunities that you've had as a result of this. Yeah, and that's that's a growing part of our practice, and I think that's important, and that's obviously a marketing aspect for us. And so I have a publicist that is in L.A., which I mean, that itself is rare, you know, for a uh, you know someone in medicine to have a publicist. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm to what you do. I'm I'm really her only client outside of Beverly Hills. Really, so she has plastic surgeons and dentists that are all in Beverly Hills, and so I'm like the oddball for her. So I, it originally started with me kind of doing interviews for Men's Health and Allure magazine and Good Housekeeping and. And that originally started with like bleaching. So I remember they came to me and they said, said, look, will you do this interview for Laura magazine? I said, sure, I'll do the interview for Laura. I was like, what is it on? And they're like, it's on teeth bleaching. I was like, well, I don't bleach people's teeth. You know what I mean? But well, you're an oral maxillofacial surgeon. You know what I mean? And you have the title. Do you mind just answering a couple of questions? So I talked to this lady from Allure and she gave me like, 10 or 15 questions they needed for this article that she was writing, which was stuff that I, I did not do. So I had spent the next, I don't know, 20 hours of my life researching teeth bleaching. Yeah, getting to, educated on something answer. that you were the expert on exactly, for the article. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I, it's put a lot of time. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I still have a dental degree. I can bleach someone's teeth. It's just something I don't do every day. So I did this article for her, and she loved it. And then two days later, Men's Health Magazine contacted me and wanted me to do the same thing on bleaching. And, you know, there's trends in the magazine world where in the fall, people are bleaching their teeth because the the seasons are changing, and in the spring, they're getting bathing suits. So the fall was kind of the time for the the bleaching. So I end up doing about, I mean, I've probably done 15 articles with, I mean, major publications when it comes to bleaching and different things with surgery. It's, it's kind of it's kind of went to a, a lot of different directions. So I started doing that. And then I had a producer from L.A. contact me, and he was at a, a party, and they were talking about doing some reality TV shows and some facial stuff. And someone had knew, known me or knew I was doing some of these articles, and they kind of told him my contact. And he called me and said, would you be interested in maybe doing a pilot for like a reality show. And I said, sure. And he said, I will see you tomorrow. So he got on a plane wow. and flew to Amarillo tomorrow, the next day. And I met with him and kind of gave him the tour of the office. And we had some relatively bigger surgeries that day uh, that he came in. And I think he was just kind of thrown back by the surgeries and kind of by the office. I mean, we have, it's a pretty impressive facility that we work out of. And so they came back and they, they filmed, um, for about two weeks, a couple weeks later, and they end up filming enough for a couple episodes, and that ended up being pitched to a couple of bigger networks. Uh, one of the networks, which was, it's one of the larger um, cable networks, and I hate to talk too much about it, you know what I mean, but it's a big network. So it came down to the, it got greenlit, the show, through everyone, and it came down between us and another show, and the other show got picked up. Okay. The other show hadn't been doing very well. So we're still in negotiations with this big network right now about maybe the show getting picked up. Is that something that you see as, you know, maybe a, a logical progression of your career as, as you do this thing and then this other thing and you start to get to this level, then it you, you take your, I guess, your influence from just being in Amarillo and the Texas Panhandle and then, and then being bigger than that. Or is that just like a side deal and your dream is just to continue to be, you know, the best oral surgeon you can be? You know, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of both. You know, I want to be the best oral surgeon that I can be, you know, and I want people to look at dentistry and more specifically oral surgery as a great field. We do great things and we change people's lives. And I want the public to know that. I think that's that's good for, obviously, our business, but it's also good for the specialty and it's good for the other oral surgeons out there who are working hard as well. So, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, I love what I do and I want everybody to know what I love, what I do. And if people find this interesting, which I know they do based on our social media, you know, I think that's something that people want to see. And I think that, you know, we have a very small specialty. I mean, there's only a couple hundred oral surgeons graduate from a residency program per year. So there's not many of us out there and it's very competitive. You know, I want to push the smart people and the hard workers towards my profession because that's just going to make my profession better. Mm -hmm. So, so today 
you know, we're doing this interview after you did um, 11 different surgeries, you said, you know, a full day on a Saturday. Mm, yes. Walk me through like, like what your day's like. I mean, is, is 11 surgeries in a day, is that pretty common for you? And are they all different kinds or are you stacking, you know, different types up? No, they're all different times. You know, we're pretty busy and, and I hate for people to have to wait five or six weeks to have surgery with me. So I, I try to open some Saturdays up every once in a while. You know, I do a lot of traveling and if I'm in town for the weekend, then I'll usually try to see if there's availability to do the surgeries. But like today, probably my youngest patient was maybe two years old today. My oldest patient was probably 60 maybe. And I did everything from taking some baby teeth out on some little kids to taking some extra teeth out to doing wisdom teeth. We did some implants today. I, I did a sinus surgery on a, my last case before I came here with you. So it's usually a pretty good variety on the Saturday for me. I mean, but I, you know, I like having these variety of surgeries. You know, I think if I just did the same thing all day long, even though it's fun, I'd still think I would get bored. You know, I, mm -hmm. I like the the mental stimulation that comes with doing lots of different things. Where do you see your practice being in five years, 10 years? I mean, do you have sort of a goal in mind? You've grown a lot in the past decade. I mean, do you yeah. think you'll continue that growth or do you think you'll plateau here? And yeah, we started with four employees and I think we have like 62 employees right now. And the growth of our practice, yeah, I'd like to kind of grow the practice. You know, I, I think what we've done in Amarillo and, and kind of our formula that we've kind of figured out that we that we run our practice with, I think that works obviously really well in Amarillo, but I think that would work any market. You know, and I would love to take this formula and, and try this in larger markets to see how we do. But, you know, the practice has grown. I mean, the thing is that we started as oral surgeons and we still are, but now we have a pediatric dental practice that's part of our, our office. And I really, and that's grown a lot more rapidly and quicker than the oral surgery practice ever did. And I think that's partially because we kind of figured that out the growth wise with us. And we kind of went through a lot of those growing pains before that practice existed, but there is a lot more growth potential in the pediatric practice. And then there are with the oral surgery practice. Okay. There's only so many people need surgery and there's a lot more kids out there that need dentist dental yeah. care done. So I, I really foresee that part of the practice growing. So I, you know, in the future I can see the oral surgery practice growing a lot slower, but I can see us really expanding the children's and pediatric aspect a lot more over the next couple of years. So I know that you were very deliberate in choosing Amarillo as a place to start your practice. And given the success that you've had and how much of it is due to just your personality and the work ethic and, and some of your mindset, I wonder how much of that you can say is related to Amarillo. Like, do you think you'd be in the same place had you gone to Oregon? Or do you think there's something no, I've been, specific yeah, I've, here? No, I think I would be in the same place if I went to Oregon. I mean, there's just people, and I have that drive, you know what I mean? I just have that drive to to want to be better, to be the mm -hmm. best that I can be. And, you know, I obsess about these things. I tell people I have two full-time jobs. I have my one job is doing surgery, and the other job is running the business. And, you know, that starts at 6 o'clock in the morning when I wake up, and then that continues until I go to bed at 11 o'clock at night. I mean, I just, I just never stop. I mean, that's that's I'm just completely focused on that all the time. And so I, I think... Whether I was in Amarillo or was in Bend, Oregon, I think I would be the same person. You know, there'd be different variables in the cities, but I still have that kind of competitive aspect of myself. Okay. And you're not originally from this area, but now you've been here and you've been doing business here and working here for, for several years. Does, does it feel like home to you or does no, Kentucky still feel like home? No, Amarillo is home to me now. I mean, I go back and it's great to go home, but... I, you know, in, in regardless of where in the world I, I travel, I always look forward to coming back home. So this is yeah, this this is home to me now, and this is kind of where I'm going to be until whatever the next chapter in life may be. But no, this is this is home to me. This week's episode is sponsored by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, located in Canyon on the campus of West Texas A&M University. Now, I'm a huge fan of this museum. It's the largest history museum in Texas. And one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is create a record of life here in Amarillo and Canyon during this moment in time. Well, Panhandle Plains has been actively doing that since it started in 1921. And what you may not know is that the museum itself is a nonprofit. So the university helps with things like insurance and building maintenance, but 
It's primarily funded by membership and donations and visitor fees and special events. One of those special events is coming up in just a few days. It's the museum's Christmas open house on December 6th and 7th. So you can go celebrate the holidays, really kickstart the holiday season at Panhandle Plains. From crafts to choirs to cookies, all the activities at PPHM will get you in the Christmas spirit. Now this is a free event and it includes a visit with Santa and Mrs. Claus in their sleigh. You can get family photos with a gingerbread teepee backdrop. But the museum encourages guests to bring one can of food per person to benefit the High Plains Food Bank. So it's a food drive and this is the fifth year Panhandle Plains has collected donations. You can learn more about the event at panhandleplains.org. Okay, I'm back with Billy Graves. Billy, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Okay. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. Um, most of the questions I've asked before, but this first one is one specific for you. I know your practice is involved in a lot of charitable activities. And so I wanted to to ask, what's your favorite four-hour smile story? Tell us about what that is and, and tell us one of the stories. That's a hard question to answer. And I mean, a lot of the TV show was kind of based on the four-hour smile. And I would do these surgeries and People would come in and, and we would do their extractions and we would place their dental implants and then we'd give them teeth. And this is something that's done in about four hours. That's why we call it the four-hour smile. And I remember doing a, the first couple of cases and I would finish the surgery and the, the patient would be waking up and I would go in there and I would hand them the mirror, right? And I'd say, okay, this is what your new smile looks like. And they would look at it and they would start crying I remember one case, this lady started crying. Her husband was in the room with her, and he was just a big cowboy guy, and he had this cowboy hat on. And I look over, and he's crying. And then I look over, and the assistant's crying. And then the camera guy's crying. And I'm like, man, there's like something to this. You know what I mean? To have this kind of a emotional response on people. Because these are people that maybe their teeth had been messed up for a long time or they had missing teeth. They'd they just gone their whole lives without these sort are, of maybe feeling embarrassed about These it. are people who had been struggling with this their entire life. Okay. And these are people that this is holding them back in life. And like I said, I have plenty of stories. And the very first charity story we did on Ruby was kind of a similar situation, I mean, real bad teeth. And you remember her telling me the story that, you know, as she goes back and she looks through these photo albums from years ago, she's not in any photos. She was too mm -hmm. embarrassed to be in, in photos. So she looks at these photos and she doesn't remember the memories. And, you know, that's the one thing about photos is that you can see some pictures and scroll through your phone and you can see a picture of you somewhere at a certain time, and it's like going back in time. You can remember where that was and how you felt and who you were with. But if you don't have those photos, sometimes it's hard to do that recall. Yeah. And she was talking about that she's not in any of these photos, so she doesn't remember a lot of these things, even though that she knew she took the picture. And she said that was because she was embarrassed of her teeth, so she would be the camera person. She was taking the pictures because she didn't want to be in them. And... You know, that's something that kind of really touched me a lot. And I said, you know, there's these people out there who are struggling their entire life, and this is this is keeping them back. And you would see these transformations in our patients, and, you know, they would come in, they wouldn't smile, or they would put their hand in front of their mouth when they talked. Huh. And then you would do these surgeries, and you would see them back a month after their surgery, and it was like a completely different person. I mean, they walked a different way. They had a different smile on their face. They had a little bit of attitude when they came in. I mean, life-changing for, for these people. I mean, I get a lot of satisfaction doing the surgery because this is something that really makes me feel good. And this is really something that makes me feel like I'm really changing someone's life when I do this. And that's why we started doing the charity thing. And we do this once a year, and we kind of give this away. And, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a marketing thing for us. But, you know, even if it wasn't, we would still do it. I mean, everybody in the, in the office looks forward to the time of the year when we do this surgery. How do you choose the recipient of that? What's the process? It's tough. It's tough. You know, I, we do have a um, national marketing company that we use out of San Francisco, and they kind of help me with this aspect of it because we'll do, there's like an application process, and we'll get thousands of people who apply for this. And 
the marketing company kind of goes through and it's kind of based on a lot of different aspects. It's, you know, financial, obviously we Mm -hmm. wanted to give this to someone who, who can't afford this on their own. And, you know, someone has a a real good story. You know, I want to give this to someone who's going to appreciate it and this is going to change their life. I mean, that's what we're looking for. So the marketing company helps us narrow this down to about 20 people. And then we just bring people in for interviews and based on those interviews, we kind of choose the person we're going to give it to. All right. When's your next uh, four hour smile? It's, I think we start the marketing for that in November. Okay. When was the last time you visited the big Texan? I was at the big Texan this morning. <laughs> yeah. Were you really? What, yeah. What? I, I probably go to the big Texan. Did you know I was going to ask you that question? I had no clue what? you were asking me that question. Uh, I had a friend in town. Uh, so yesterday we had did a, uh, a lecture for the doctors and dentists in town on this pathology lecture. And we had brought a guy in from Kentucky who's a pathologist. And I'd have another friend who's a big marketing guy from L.A. He's a buddy of mine. And uh, he came in and spent the night. And I took him to the airport this morning. So we ate, uh, ate the Big Texan. Yeah, and- but I probably eat the Big Texan more than 99% of people in this in the city. Because you know, I have friends that come in to visit me. I have right. people from L.A. That's the place or, to take them. Yeah, these producers. I mean, hey, if you're a producer from L.A., you're going to eat at the Big Texan. Well, when and you're if in- you're in, into marketing, I mean, that's a place you want to go to. And oh, Bobby so they're, ama- they're amazing at. at marketing. Bobby and Danny, they're, those guys are amazing. But I eat at that place probably every couple months. Okay. What does this area have too much of? You know what we have? We have too much construction going on right now. Okay. It, we have so much construction going on in this town right now. That That's the one thing we have is, is road construction. We have too much road construction going on right now. Do you see that as a good thing or as an inconvenience? Um I mean, I think it's a temporary inconvenience, but I think in the long term, that's a good thing. All right. You know, I think that, you know, it, it definitely helps the growth of the city. I mean, the city is obviously growing and we need, you know, infrastructure like that to expand. But so I think it's definitely a good thing. It's a temporarily a, a nuisance. What does this area not have enough of? Probably what I don't think we have enough of is kind of like more like a like a, the boutique kind of hotels. And the reason I say that is... You know, you go to these larger cities and there's always these really nice boutique hotels with great customer service, you know, and, and, I, and I love really good customer service. And, you know, when I've always said that when we're looking to hire employees at my office, I don't want to hire people who have dental experience. Hmm. And the reason it is because I just think that dentists don't do very well with customer service. Okay. And I don't want those people bringing their bad habits. You want to bring a perspective from outside. Exactly. Exactly. And really, if you look at larger companies that really stress good customer service, it's almost that has it to a science. You know, we don't have a Rich Carlton or Four Seasons that I can steal these employees from. You know, we have a Chick-fil-A, which is a great customer service, right? But you have younger kids there. You know what I mean? We're doing big surgeries and sometimes... People don't want to talk to a 19-year-old kid about their kid's major surgery that we're going to do. So we end up stealing a lot of employees from like Dillard's. That's kind of who I look. But it's it's tough. It's tough for me with that attitude to find the right fit for our practice. So I wish we just had more businesses that really stressed the customer service side of things. Okay. And we've got a ton of hotels in Amarillo, but they're mostly chain hotels. They're chain hotels. I mean, the thing is that... When you go to the people pay money, they pay money. The reason you pay the money for the hotel at the Ritz Carlton is not because of the room. The room is just like the Holiday Inn, right? Right. You're paying for the service, right? And when you go to the, the smaller, the chain hotels in Amarillo, you're paying for the room. You're not paying for the service. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Not a big coffee drinker. I've made it through 12 years of school without having coffee. But if I'm going to have coffee, then I'll usually have Criselda get me Palace coffee. Okay. Criselda, a former uh, guest on this show and also someone who works with you. So. Mm-hmm. She's a big advocate of Palace okay. coffee, and it's great. It's and great you just coffee. trust her to, to bring you the best. No, I don't trust her to bring me the oh, best. Okay. But I will go with her on the coffee. All right. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? I imagine you end up talking to people who have never been here, and they're aware of your practice. And so their question for you is like, why Amarillo? Or what's the deal with Amarillo? What do you tell them? Mm-hmm. You know, Amarillo is around the country is known for two things, the Big Texan and the Cadillac Ranch. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's everybody thinks of Amarillo as that. And, and the other thing about Amarillo that people, a lot of people just pass through Amarillo going down I-40. So they're going from L.A. to wherever or wherever to L.A. 
And so they're going through Amarillo. And so their perception of Amarillo is kind of what they see off of I-40. Which is hotels and chain restaurants. Chain restaurants and hotels, right? And so what I tell people, I said, look, Amarillo is a great place. I was like, you just have to get one mile off of I-40, either direction. And once you get off one mile off I-40, then it's a great city and it's a great place to live. And I tell people that, you know, Amarillo is a small community. People kind of look out for each other here. People care about each other here. And it's just a great place to live. What's the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo? The, the most underrated thing is the traffic. When I come to Amarillo and people ask me how far the airport is, it's five minutes. Mm-hmm. How far is my work? It's five minutes. How far is any, any everything in Amarillo is five minutes away. And you really appreciate this when you go to a large city. I remember going to L.A., looking on my GPS, and something was eight miles away, and it was going to take me 45 minutes to right. get there. And thinking about myself, in Amarillo, it takes me 10 minutes to go eight miles most places. And so I think that is the thing that people take for granted who live here, who don't visit these larger cities. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'll tell you what, not having the traffic relieves a lot of frustrations in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, if you when you live in these large cities, man, you would just spend. I would spend because I'm very impatient. I would be very frustrated all the time because of sitting in traffic. Nothing elevates your blood pressure like not being able to get down the street the way that um, you want to. Yeah, I would just turn around and go home. Yeah. Okay. And last question is, what's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? My favorite Amarillo restaurant is probably Crush. Okay. You know, I, I live in Wolfland, and we have there's two Crush locations. I'm sandwiched yeah. between two. There's the one downtown, and then there's the Baby Crush mm-hmm. that's kind of located in Wolfland Square, and uh, it's a great restaurant. It's easy to get in and out for me. Were you a? Uh, but I will say, I, I will say, I love I love Crush, but probably my favorite meal in Amarillo is going to be the Elk at Public House. Okay, and when I have people in from out of town. I'll either take them to Crush or I'll take them to Public House. And a lot of times I'll go to Public House just because of the elk. And people love the elk. I mean, it's kind of an exotic uh, meat that people can have. Everybody doesn't. Everybody hasn't eaten elk. Right. And we all know Amarillo is known for our steak. And you can get a good steak in a lot of different places here in town. But the elk is something, especially from Public House, in my opinion, that kind of sets us apart from a lot of different places. For someone who hasn't had elk, how would you describe the taste? I would say it's a little on the gamier side. And, you know, I'm not a meat connoisseur like a lot of people here in town are. It's very tender, but it's, it's definitely has a more gamier taste to it. It's, I would maybe compare it to if you ate a steak that came from a cow that wasn't corn-fed, but it was maybe grass-fed. Okay. It kind of has that texture to it. But they prepare it excellent. And I'm sure I'm sure this elk's raised on our farm. These probably aren't wild elk that you're right. eating, right? But I always recommend that people go to the public house and have the elk. Okay. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. Billy, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something related to the area. So what's something that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? I always endorse the Big Texan. Okay. And I think it's a great experience. I think it's a great, it's, it's great for the city to have. I mean, everywhere you go, I've been in Europe and tell people I'm from Amarillo and they immediately ask me, is that the place with the 72 on steak, right? right? And I think when you go to that place, it's you're going there, you're getting an experience. You're not just getting food there. You're getting the whole works right there. And the whole there's a lot of visual stimulation when you walk into that area. And I think that's kind of like, I want to say a little bit stereotypical West Texas, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of people think of West Texas is. Yeah, it's, it's I, playing into the stereotype uh, for 100%. sure. 100%. And, and obviously that's that's marketing, right? I mean, that's that's what they want to do, right? But I think it's a great experience for people to have. I, it's, it's extremely memorable. And I think that's the – I think if you're coming from somewhere else and you're visiting Amarillo, that is going to be the most memorable thing that you will do in this city is going to the Big Texan. And if you have good food and it's almost like an amusement park of a restaurant. And when you take these various guests there who are visiting, are they always, like, does it fulfill their expectations? Are they pleased with with what they get there? When they walk into that, when you walk into the restaurant where that stage is and it's kind of open right there with all the dead animals hanging around right there, the taxidermy, I think they're like, holy cow. This is this is exactly what I thought this place was going to look like, and they're all fascinated. I mean, they they all begging for someone to go on the stage and eat the steak, right? And okay. I've done that before. You've you've tried it. 
I've done it a couple times. Uh, well, so I did it once where I went on the stage and we did it for our social media. Okay. So I was on the stage and I tried to eat the steak and I got maybe a third of the thing done. All right. right? And then a couple of years ago, uh, Danny and Bobby had um, this professional eater from Sacramento, this, this lady who came in, and she probably weighed maybe 100 pounds. She's the one who set the record. Exactly, right. right. So they, they had her up on the stage, and they had it was outside, and they had all these media people there, and she ended up eating three of those right. steaks in like 20 minutes. So anyways, Danny and Bobby wanted me to go there to be the doctor there in case, okay. I, guess, I guess she exploded. <laughs> in case <laughs> she, things went sideways In case on she that. exploded from these steaks, somebody there could maybe try to save her. <sighs> So, uh, so I've been there a bunch of times during those things. It's Molly Schuyler, I think. Molly, that right? That's right. right. Uh Molly. And the amazing thing was that she ate those three steaks, and then she walked around and took pictures and did autographs for like three hours later. And people think that that she goes somewhere and goes to the restroom and throws up. I mean, this no, she she walked around and did the whole nine yards. It was amazing. All right. Well, Billy Graves, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to Billy Graves for the interview. You can learn more about what he's up to at AmarilloOralSurgery.com. And be sure to look them up on Snapchat and Instagram. They have thousands of followers, especially on Snapchat. It's crazy the amount of influence they have there. Watch some of their videos. It's really fascinating. Thanks also to Panhandle Plains and to Wick Realty for sponsoring the show. And as usual, every episode of Hey Amarillo is edited by Angelina Marie. Thanks, of course, to my executive producers. These include Neil Nossiman, Patrick Burns, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Criselda, Jennifer Callahan, Josh Wood, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, and Katie Linger. All of those good folks support the show through patreon.com slash And if you love the show, you can do the same thing. Thank you for listening. Review the show if you haven't yet on iTunes or wherever you listen. That helps the podcast. This has been episode 113. My name is Jason Boyette. Have a great Thanksgiving. I'll see you next week.